Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Perplexity, a mystery podcast. As always, I am your host, Kadra, and I am so grateful that you guys have decided to tune in today. Very excited to be recording. Um, If you are watching on YouTube and it looks a little bit different in here, or if you're listening, obviously, and maybe the sound is a little bit different, I am recording in a new home today, so we'll kind of see how this new setup goes. And um, it's been a crazy last few weeks, so it's nice to just sit down and record. I've been packing, moving, um, it's just been very stressful, so... There have been some of you who have reached out over the past few weeks and just sent me little messages like, hey, just want to let you know I've been enjoying the podcast, you're doing a great job, keep it up, or hey, I really liked that episode, and I just want to say that means the absolute world to me, Uh, especially as much work uh, as it takes to do this, and then also just everything that's been going on in my personal life over the last few weeks, trying to get everything ready and get transferred for a new job down here. So thank you guys so much. For those of you who don't know, the move down here has not been smooth. We basically found a house, me and my boyfriend, that we really liked and signed a lease. And two days later, uh, the realtor emailed us and said that the house accidentally caught fire. And so we had to terminate that lease two weeks before we were supposed to move and we ended up getting a new realtor and it was just a full panic trying to find a new house but I am a firm believer in things happen for a reason and we were not meant to have that house and this house in my opinion is way better than the original one so (laughs) it all worked out but we literally signed the lease for this house two days before we were supposed to move. So it's just been absolutely insane. Um, But with all that being said, we are here now. (laughs) We're settled. And I have a fun story for you guys today. Today, we are going to be talking about ancient Rome. And I took a poll a few weeks ago with you guys to just see, you know, what types of topics you were interested in, what you wanted to hear more of. And I think I put like six or seven different topics in there. And over 40% of the vote went to weird and dark history. So I thought ancient Rome would be a great place to start because they have a lot of skeletons in their closet. But before we get into ancient Rome, of course, a couple of quick housekeeping things as always. First and foremost, if you have been enjoying Perplexity and you have not done so yet, please take two seconds and hit the subscribe button on the YouTube channel or hit the star rating option on whatever podcast platform you're listening on and leave me a five-star review, help a girl out. It is the number one best way to help the show and it's insanely easy. Uh, It boosts the podcast up the algorithms and helps these stories get to more people. So please do that. And when you do that, it also allows me to keep bringing you content and bring you better content. For other ways to support the show, please check out the show notes in the episode description. There are support and contact links there so you can keep in touch with me, and that is much appreciated. Also, a couple of quick shout outs. Uh, On the podcast, I have some new listeners in Japan, which brings the total of Perplexity listeners on podcast platforms to 22 countries. So thank you so much and hello to Japan. 
And as far as the YouTube channel, which is still pretty new, uh, we're, we're rocking it. Uh, the shorts are going good. And um, there are some new viewers in India, Malaysia, Sri Lanka, the UK, Australia, and the Philippines. So thank you so much for watching and tuning in and welcome to their Perplexity Gang. Trigger warning as always for today's episode, we will be discussing violence. I mean, it's ancient Rome. So sensitive listening is advised, especially for listeners below the age of 13. And all of the sources that have been used in today's episode will be available in the show notes. There aren't a ton of sources for today's episode, but I do want to shout things out just really quickly. The vast majority of what I'm going to be talking about came straight from the World Atlas website. There is an article on there called The Five Darkest Secrets of Ancient Rome. So that was very helpful, and I will be pretty much going through that piece by piece. And then there is also an article by Natasha Sheldon from HistoryCollection.com that I used. And uh, that's about it. There was a podcast from the History Voyager that I used as well uh, about female gladiators, just to kind of reference. So let's get into this story. So first, I thought it would be interesting to talk about the Colosseum, the infamous Roman Colosseum, where all of these things for just the entertainment of the rich uh, were held. So a lot of people might not know that a lot of historians believe there were female gladiators that did battles in the Roman Colosseum and also performed in like the theater there. In this day and age, that's not what we think of when we think of gladiators. So I thought that was pretty interesting. And children were also in the Roman Colosseum. So it's pretty messed up. There were also a lot of different subspecies of animals that almost became extinct because they were hunted so much so that they could be in these different battles in the Colosseum. Lions used to live in North Africa, Greece, and modern-day Turkey, but their populations severely declined after Roman trappers shipped them off to die in these gladiatorial games. And there were a lot of other animal groups that were killed also for entertainment, and this was to tear petty criminals up, so what a way to go. Uh, Political prisoners also were put in these gladiatorial coliseums and known to be torn apart, shredded limb from limb. And females and children that were involved in these gladiatorial games were also severely injured and sometimes killed. They were basically seen as the butt of a joke. So really dark, really messed up. A lot of historians also believe that women and children attended these events for entertainment um, and were often in the nosebleed seats so that they could be somewhat shielded, I guess, from the violence, but they still attended. Another part of weird, dark history of ancient Rome is the story of Caligula and his horse, Incatatus. And this took place around 37 AD. Caligula was a Roman emperor, and he was absolutely obsessed with one of his horses, which was Incatatus. So in 37 AD, 
the people of Rome were really happy about this new emperor because Emperor Tiberius had been in charge before and Tiberius died. It was a good riddance. They, you know, weren't very fond of him. Tiberius had basically instigated a lot of treason, trials, uh, a lot of people were killed, executed. So there was just this big rift in society. So they definitely welcomed this change when Caligula came. Not only this, but Tiberius had even murdered members of his own family. So it got really dark. And the new emperor was one of the survivors of this whole crazy experience. Gauss Julius Caesar Germanicus was just 24 years old at this time. And a great-grandson of Augustus, he was also the son of the war hero Germanicus. In the people's minds, the emperor Gaius, they thought he could basically help society get back to normal again, um, help it get back to the good times, but they were obviously wrong uh, because just four years later, Caesar was murdered by his own guards after a morning at the games. And history would remember the Emperor Gaius as one of Rome's worst rulers. It would also remember him by his hated childhood nickname, uh, Little Boots or Caligula. So Emperor Caligula was not a great dude. Uh, He was guilty of a lot of horrible things, blasphemy, but also incest, state-sanctioned murder, torture, and robbery. Now, all of these things are obviously horrible, but one of the more weird aspects that's quite comical is the time that he made his favorite horse a console. (laughs) And this horse basically gained a lot of power in Rome. It got to the point where this horse had so much power that the people of the community of Rome just thought Caligula was absolutely insane. (laughs) So to go back a little bit, Caligula, you know, ruled for about four years, but the first seven months of his reign were pretty smooth. The new emperor paid Tiberius's legacies promptly, and the people of Rome, you know, seemed to really like him. He was a pretty democratic ruler as well. He would actually consult the Senate before he made any type of like major decisions. And he avoided a lot of honorific, superfluous types of titles. He was just, you know, kind of a simple matter of fact person, it seemed. He also poured a lot of money into works for the public and basically passed a lot of laws that restored popular control over the magistrates which for people who are not big into history, magistrates are elected officials that were part of ancient Rome. And they basically had this certain degree of power. They helped make a lot of decisions. But when Tiberius was ruling, a lot of this power was stripped. So Caligula helped give it back. But in October of 37 AD, Caligula became very sick. A lot of people for a while thought he was not going to survive this illness. He was very, very ill. But he surprisingly survived, and the Roman community was happy. But after he survived this illness, Caligula's behavior significantly changed. It was like he had a new personality. 
First of all, Caligula at this point basically declared himself a deity. <laughs> he was like, I'm a god, y'all have to treat me as such. And, you know, before all of this, he didn't take any fancy titles. He kept it very simple. He wasn't a dictator, you know, so that was a big change. He decided that he was one of the most ancient Roman deities, Jupiter Latiaris to be exact. And he established his own priesthood, his own fancy temple. There was a life-sized golden statue of himself so that people could worship him and gaze upon him in all of his glory. And he seems to like develop these different personalities. So sometimes Caligula would roam the palace and he would say he was Jupiter. So he would have a false golden beard. He would walk around with a thunderbolt, which I'm not exactly sure what that means. Maybe something of metal that was meant to look like one, but that's what this article said. So he would do that sometimes, but then other times he would walk around with a trident and he would say he was Neptune. <laughs> Uh, other times he said he was Mercury and he would have this staff that had like a snake serpent like creature wrapped around it. One time Caligula even wore a woman's gown and slippers and said that he was Venus. So he clearly liked to portray different characters. Some may just see this as funny or eccentric, but um, it gets worse, okay? So he basically had all of these different statues, uh, I guess, around the area that he lived, this temple, that were different, like, statues of emperors. And he had all of the heads of these statues of, like, emperors and gods removed and replaced with a bust of his own head. I don't know if he was saying these strange things or if he genuinely believed them, but he would also tell people around the palace really strange things. So, like, he claimed that he blackmailed Capitoline Jupiter into sharing his temple with him. Uh, he said he forced the goddess of the moon to sleep with him every time there was a full moon. So just really strange things. In 39 AD, he decides that it's time to go to war. So Caligula attacked the Germans, or rather the trees of their forests. He collected enough branches and he moved to the coast of Gaul. And then he lined up his soldiers and artillery to face the channel. And the emperor's commanders, based on these behaviors, thought that he was trying to invade Britain. So it was a pretty bold move. And instead, Caligula gave the order to gather seashells. So basically, he has this entire group of soldiers out of the ocean, like, clearly looking like they're ready to go, ready to invade this huge country, like Britain. But then they all get there and Caligula's like, all right, guys, take off your helmets, open up your tunics, and I want you to fill these with seashells. <laughs> and he put these in a bunch of chests and he basically called them his treasures from the ocean. <laughs> I would have really liked to see 
other people's reaction to this. Like, just so odd. Uh, one of the craziest stunts that Caligula pool pulled, according to this article, was with Incatatus, his favorite racehorse. So, like I said, he basically became a governor. <laughs> he had his own staff, his own house. He had, of course, a stable. There were also guards that were posted the night before the horse was supposed to race so that Incatatus could have a good night's rest. And the horse slept in a really nice stall. It was made of ivory. He had a jeweled adorned harness, um, purple blankets, which were, you know, the color of royalty. And Incatatus could have anything that he wanted, or I guess whatever Caligula anticipated he would want. Caligula would organize these lavish dinner parties for this horse. Caligula also managed to top all of this off by, of course, announcing him to be part of the consul. So Caligula assembled the whole Senate and told them all, like, this is happening. <laughs> so this is when we get dark. So some of the other post-illness behaviors that Caligula had were very violent. He became known for violence, extreme cruelty, uh, the least of his crimes, which seems to be like it should be really high on the list. But um, incest with all three of his sisters. Disgusting. And when his favorite sister, Dressila, uh, died, he was extremely depressed, extremely upset, and he basically was so overcome with grief that he made it a capital offense if anyone were to laugh or publicly dine or bathe while the mourning period lasted. I'm not sure why eating or bathing would be an issue, but... I guess there's no logical reason when you're insane. He even declared Drusilla a goddess, and he basically had her name added to a lot of like the oaths that they would announce. Now, as far as like the incest with his sisters, as disgusting as that is, it was pretty common during this time period. But Caligula was without a doubt, a sexual predator. One of his customs was to have dinner parties with only female guests. And he would basically have them like parade around him, show themselves to him, like model, whatever, so that he could choose a sexual companion for later in the night. He was also a guest once at a wedding for Gaius Piso and Livia Orastilla, and he really took a fancy to Livia, the bride. And in the middle of the wedding feast, Caligula started yelling at the groom, saying, hands off my bride. And he forced Livia to accompany him home, and he married her, quote unquote, and then he got bored of her and divorced her two days later. <laughs> When he wasn't forcing women to sleep with him, he was instead having them sell themselves to other men. 
At one point, Caligula was having some money issues and needed to raise some funds. So he wanted to open the palace as a brothel. And all of the married noblewomen of Rome and quite a few young boys were required to serve in the brothel. And then basically Caligula had, I guess, some of his servants go throughout the Roman streets and gather up customers and have them attend this brothel so that he could make money. And of course, the reason so many people put up with this is because he was the emperor. And anyone who dared disagree with him would be severely tortured, mutilated, executed, etc. His first murders happened immediately after his illness in May of 38 AD. And these murders were of Macro and his young cousin, Gemellus. They were executed on a bunch of just randomly trumped up charges. Macro had supposedly helped Caligula in rising to power by murdering Tiberius. Gemellus was only a boy, though, and Caligula, it seems like people think Caligula basically saw Gemellus as a threat because he was Tiberius's grandson and had been Caligula's co-heir. So a lot of people think that he executed him just so he could secure his power that much more. People could see these deaths as paranoia, but there were definitely other murders that were just completely cruel and unnecessary. Caligula basically brought back a lot of those trials and treasons that uh, Tiberius had done during his reign as another way of raising money and being able to get off on violence. People that were found guilty in these trials also had their estates confiscated, which is how he could get all the money. If these people didn't kill themselves or die in prison, they would have to be publicly executed. Caligula was also fond of fighting these people as gladiators in the Colosseum. As if this couldn't get any worse, Caligula would also often force the victims' families to watch this all unfold. So one of the big questions with historians about Caligula is, was he insane or just plain evil? Suetonius's account of Caligula was written decades after the emperor reigned, and Suetonius basically paints Caligula as a deranged lunatic. So, for instance, when he's talking about this aborted invasion of Britain, he ignored the fact that the Roman word for seashells, musculi, was also a soldier's slang for an engineer's hut. So this basically means instead of ordering his troops to gather seashells, Caligula could have been commanding them to clear the beach of military installations, just making it an open space for them to be able to do what they want. But other details of his writings have been proven correct. The discovery of Caligula's palace in 2003 did confirm that it had been remodeled in order to join with the Temple of Castor and Pollux. It was also discovered that there's proof a bridge was constructed from the palace over the Forum to join the Capitoline Temple. So, given the events described in these sources, it seems to correspond with facts, 
But again, how do we know if Caligula was just insane or evil? So before he got really sick, he basically was able to navigate some really hard times uh, in a sane manner. He dealt with the death of his mother in what seemed to be a healthy way. His brothers also died and he seemed to handle that as best as anyone could. And he also lived with Tiberius when he was just 18 years old. Uh, He lived with him for six years and Tiberius was known to be quite a tyrant and a trickster and he would try to get him to say things or think things and Caligula was known to be really quiet, so that would indicate, you know, some intelligence, some restraint. Um, He knew how to survive in a lot of these intense conditions. So some people think that whatever this illness was that Caligula had weakened him mentally and caused all of these changes. Other people think that this was just Caligula's way to help secure his title and basically fear people into following him and just help him stay in power longer. By declaring himself a god and tearing up all of the streets of Rome for his convenience, uh, connecting the palaces to the temples, he was basically acting like no other emperor before him. One example of Caligula trying to clearly instill fear into people and make them respect him, in my opinion, would be when he had a dinner party one time. So at this dinner party, he started suddenly laughing and he said, it occurred to me that I have only to give one nod and your throats will be cut on the spot. He was also known to humiliate senators. He would sometimes make them run for miles and miles beside his chariot. And they would also have to like serve him at dinners, basically like a slave. So that's just a little bit of crazy history about Caligula, but, you know, there's a lot more. So if you're interested in learning more about Caligula, I would encourage you to dig deeper and read up on him. Now we're going to talk about the latrines of ancient Rome, and this gets pretty insane. So the Romans were really good engineers, especially for this time period. They had a lot more advanced roads, Um, aqueducts, sewage systems, especially compared to other developing countries. And with all of this engineering, they also developed plumbing, sewage networks, but these were not perfect. So first of all, in ancient Rome, the only people that could afford toilets would be the elite, the rich people. So this meant everybody else had to either use a bedpan or a cesspit, or they had to go over to public toilets, which I honestly didn't even know was a thing back then. But you can imagine how horrible the smell must have been. Picture a porter potty times a million. And of course it smells, but also because there were so many different people using these toilets, and of course they're not being cleaned, there was a lot of hydrogen sulfide and methane gas. And this would continue to build and build in the pipes that had been built below. And this could cause flames to shoot out from the toilet seats and of course injure people or even kill them while they're just trying to take a dump. 
And of course, the toilets are right over these pipes and sewage lines. And especially during this time period, there were a lot of uh, rat rodent problems. So rats that dwelled in the pipes were also known to climb up from underneath the toilets and bite people in um, their nether regions. So I'm very grateful to have my toilet now and a bidet. And uh, this is exactly why I don't like porta potties, which are on a much more progressive scale and um, a lot, a lot cleaner. And I still think they're disgusting. So it's a big no for me. Okay, so now we are going to talk just briefly about Nero. But Nero is another one of those characters that we could do just an entire episode about. So again, if you want to learn more, you know, Google him. So Nero was a very wicked, evil, depraved emperor of Rome and arguably the worst. While we could go on and on about all the horrific things that Nero did, one of the most crazy ones would have to be with his third lover, Sporus. Sporus was a young boy, okay? So Nero took a liking to this young boy, and after he had kicked his pregnant wife to death in a blind rage, he basically tried to make Sporus similar to his late wife. So Nero had the boy dressed up to wear women's clothes and he castrated him. And he also married this boy in 67 AD and was married to Nero until Nero committed suicide a little over a year later. So that's just a little peek into the horrible, disgusting, ungodly things that Nero did to so many people. Clearly this guy is insanely deranged. And those are just a couple of examples of some of the insane stories and dark history of ancient Rome. There is much, much more, and who knows, maybe I'll do a part two in the future. Roman society and culture existed for nearly 2,000 years, so there is a lot more that we could talk about here. And if you have any ideas or other ancient Rome stories, let me know. So there you have it, folks. Um, I hope you enjoyed this episode. I'm sorry if it was a little bit of a mess. I'm trying to get back into my rhythm. Um, Just, you know, moving down here. I haven't been able to research as much lately. So I hope you guys enjoyed it. If you did... Please remember those wonderful ways to quickly and easily support the podcast and the YouTube channel. Uh, Hit the subscribe button. Follow the podcast. If you're listening on a podcast platform, just hit the follow button. Uh, Leave a five-star review on whatever podcast platform you're listening on. And for all those other ways to support the podcast, remember you can check out those links in the episode description. You can also contact me there following those links. And if you have a topic request or a crazy story that you want to share with me, I love to read listener stories on the podcast. It can be about anything weird, dark, creepy, true crimey. Just as always, let me know if you want to remain anonymous. 
You can send those stories to me through my email, perplexitymysterypodcast at gmail.com, or you can DM me on Instagram, which is perplexitymysterypodcast. Thank you guys so much for listening, and I will talk to you guys next week. Bye.